Hello, Night Nation, and welcome back to another episode of the Nightcap Podcast. Here we are, back at full strength, uh, just like our nights looked this week against SMU. I'm your host, Sean Stewart, here with my co-host, Tony Cummings. How are you doing, Tony? I'm feeling super pumped, man. Uh, 1-0, baby, in conference play, so it can't get any better. You know, we got the rest of the season ahead of us, but uh, I feel really good, you know. As we're going to talk about in this game, it's going to be the tail of two halves. But before we get into that, you know, welcome back. Uh, Night Nation, and please follow us at our Instagram and Twitter and all our social media at UCF Nightcap. Thank you, Tony. And yeah, I mean, you know, it was a wild week, uh, a wild two weeks, really. Um, You know, I think we all obviously expected SMU to come into town last Saturday uh, with the massive hurricane that hit the Central Florida area. We had to have that, uh, that, that game moved first to Sunday of last week, then to this past Wednesday. Obviously, our thoughts and prayers are with everybody out uh, in the Central Florida area and, and on the coast that were affected by Hurricane Ian, a really, really uh, serious event uh, that we're, we're really glad to hear uh, that the recovery is, has really started. Uh, hopefully, nobody listening here was was too affected, but but we'll be thinking of you. How about you, Tony? You, uh, you have any bad luck with the hurricane? Um, you know, personally, I had a couple of leaks in my house, but uh, overall, you know, that's nothing compared to our um, compadres on the west coast of Florida. You know, it's uh, pretty bad over there in the Fort Myers area. Um, Orlando had uh, a lot of stuff happen to it. It's crazy. Since I've lived in Orlando, I've never seen flooding like this ever. So it's uh, it was very interesting to see this type of flooding. And I know a lot of uh, UCF uh, uh, people living in apartments in the UCF area were affected with flooding. So, um, you know, my heart goes out to them. If you are listening, hopefully this helps out. You know, we're here to, you know, try to provide some entertainment for you. Um, but, you know, football and everything we do is nothing compared to, you know, what happened to some people. But like you said, we're, you know, we're on the road to recovery and we're moving forward. But I wanted to talk to you something about that before we get started. Like psychologically, you know, you playing football, like how would that affect you if you, you had to plan to play on a Saturday? Then it, well, what was it? What was it? Saturday? It was, was going to be a Saturday. Then it got moved to Sunday. And then, then it got changed to Wednesday. And how would you feel like, you know, you got family. And a lot of our players are from Florida. So how, how would you, how would, like, if you had to step in their shoes, what are your perspectives? Yeah, you know, I think it's tough. Obviously, you've got a lot of other things on your mind. Um, you know, I think just like any, uh, you know, high-level sport, you, you've got to be able to keep your focus as much as you can. Um, you know, there's another team that's coming in here focusing as well. Um, and, you know, football can kind of become secondary. I do think that overall this worked out really, really well for the football team, um, all things considered. You know, I think that, number one, you know, games can get canceled. Number two, um, you know, it can really put you behind by giving you short weeks. Um, This one actually worked out really, really well with both UCF and SMU having a bye week this week. It really allowed them to, you know, both SMU and UCF to think about it, uh, you know, do what's best for not only – you know, the state, but also for the individual students themselves and, and move the game to Wednesday. Um, you know, so it gave them a little bit of time to, to handle their business, um, you know, from a hurricane perspective. And then now they'll they'll get some time off before their next game. So it definitely could have been worse. But psychologically, I imagine it was. It was affecting all the players. Is You know, I, I think it hasn't been a secret that this team is uh, extremely homegrown. A lot of Florida players um, are on this roster. Um, so you hope that none of them had any massive issues with when it comes to their family and, and that they can uh, get back to focusing on, on the task at hand. But, um, but having said that, I think that they did a, a phenomenal job, um, you know, focusing on it. 
you know, I think it was a tale of, of two halves in this yeah. game. But and before we get into that, I just want to also give a shout out to uh, all the fans because being that it got moved to Wednesday, there were a lot of fans that couldn't come, but it was a decent crowd. I thought for all the changes on Wednesday, I happened to be at the game, um, and I thought the crowd put a really good effort out there. So shout out to everybody that was able to come to the game. I understand that people weren't able to come with the last minute changes. But the fans that came out, man, there was, there was they, they cheered on the team. You're a hundred percent right. Uh, Night Nation is is amazing. I mean, they they definitely show out. Uh, you know, I think the players uh, definitely made comments after the game about that. But even rewatching the game on the, uh, you know, on the on the rewatch on ESPN, uh, it was very clear that uh, the crowd was there. You could hear it. It was noticeable. Um, you know, so shout out to Night Nation as always. Um, you know. Even though it was a, a Wednesday game, like it was, um, they're they're always there supporting the team, and it's it's really cool to see. And I, I know the fans appreciate the team appreciates it, and um, you know I'm sure that's what helped carry them. Absolutely, the student section too. Uh, it, it, it like it trickled in slowly, but both student sections got filled up um, by the at least by the end of the first quarter. At least they got filled up. So shout out to the students as well. Definitely, and they were they uh they definitely got to see a show. I mean UCF came out. Uh, really put it to SMU that final score of forty-one to nineteen. Um, you know, I know that not a lot of people expected that, uh, let, like the score, let alone even a win. I mean, Including anybody us. listens to this <laughs> podcast knows yeah. that we have been um, very vocal about this being not only one of our toughest games, but a game that we actually thought we would lose. So, a very pleasant surprise. Yeah, very very pleasant. I mean, I hate to bring up last year, but they they put a whipping on us, and. Um... They had pretty much the same offensive coordinator became the coach. It happened to be Gus Malzahn's uh, disciple. And they had a lot of the same offensive players, the same quarterback. So it definitely was going to be a challenging game. And it was. It was. It was a challenging game, and we're going to get into it. And we're, we're going to get to show how our defense – and I think you said it best. Like, nobody can talk about our defense anymore. Our, this team proved it against a top offensive team. If you look at the stats – this team still, SMU still produced offensive stats. They just couldn't get it to the end zone. And that's because of our defense. Our defense kept them um, out and did a really good job. I, I want to say they only got one touchdown, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they got the uh, the second one at the end of the game during garbage time. Um, oh, but they couldn't get extra points on that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. But but even that one, I mean, that was so late in the game. At that point, scores 41-13, to 13, you know. Uh, they had already put in their backup quarterback, Preston Stone, so... Uh, I'm not too concerned about that, but you're absolutely right. It's, you know, this this team, I think UCF, we're very used to over the last few years, really since, um, you know, Scott Frost took over. This team had been, uh, their, their identity had been offense. It had been going fast, scoring tons of points, and all the defense really had to do was, you know, maybe cause a couple turnovers, make a couple big stops that lets the offense pull ahead a little bit, and we'll win the game. And this is not the same team. Um, and I don't, I don't know that that's a bad thing, right? I mean, we're watching this defense grow up right before our eyes, and you know, we're we're deep, we're loaded, we're experienced. The secondary uh, played extremely well, kept everything in front of them. I mean, for for a little while there in that first half, the offense was having some trouble getting going. Um, they were having some problems uh, extending their drives, getting themselves into the end zone. Um, you know, they were actually we were down at half, um, but the main reason. Um, that we were able to stay in the game as long as we were to, to build up the lead that we did was because the defense played so well. Um, you know, they even said as much when Rhett Lashley got interviewed at halftime. You know, he he 
said himself that he he thought that they should be up by more than they were just based on the way the the game had been going but the defense made some pretty key stops it's really great to see we got some great players on that defense right now yeah absolutely i mean and being at the game i will tell you that there was a uh there was a play that you know i gotta the gush drives me crazy about because it's two and one you know we're we got the momentum we're going and he decides to run a trick play where we, you know, we lose yardage on that and we end up punting. So, you know, part of that, and that's part of the first half, you know, made me a little nervous because we we had a lot of opportunity for momentum, but here we go into the half down by three, 10 to 13. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm, you know, I love Gus overall and I love this team overall because the, the positive of Gus being a coach is that he's managed this team really well where we have a complete team and that's what you're saying. Compared to the previous, uh, uh, coach uh, previous teams, uh, coaching teams, and other regimes. I feel like this is a very complete team. The defense has grown up. The offense, on a positive note, is growing as well. On a slower perspective, but it, I like the direction it's going after we won this game. But regarding Gus, man, I I, I, I hate these trick plays. Like I'm sorry, I just I'm, I'm over it. Like I mean, I don't mind trick plays, but I feel like. Uh, he does them at the wrong times. Like we're two and one. Come on, let's get that one yard. Let's you know, let's get another first down. Let's keep it going. I'll tell you, the crowd got deflated when that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I do think that's interesting because it's you know we've been a little critical about you know Gus on this podcast over the first few weeks as we've watched the defense keep us in these games. Um, you know, we go back to the Louisville loss where we were inside the ten uh, twice towards the end of the game and weren't able to to punch it into the end zone. Um, you know, and sometimes we're we're really looking at the play calls. Are they the right calls? Are we putting our players in the best positions to succeed? And um, you know, I think to give him some credit, there there's clearly ways that he's making adjustments that are are you know helping this team. Um, you know, we've obviously seen the defense play really well. We've watched the special teams have trouble at the beginning of the season. That's gotten way better since he's changed some personnel. Obviously, with Colton Boomer coming in, McCarthy. Um, coming in as a punter and then Townsend now as our punt returner. Uh, all of those have happened and, and it's, you know, made our special teams better. He made those adjustments on offense too and he simplified things. Because I agree with you. It's like, you know, last year he did it with Joey Gatewood um, where he'd throw him in kind of as a change of pace. It never really worked that well. And now this year it feels like he's got these trick plays that'll go maybe one step too far, uh, you know, that really causes us to lose some yards. The play you're referencing, the first, the first down play, it was mid- at midfield. It was a, uh, like a jet sweep from Johnny Richardson. He gets nine yards, so it's second and one. To lose as many yards as we did on that next play, you know, our, our offense is moving well. We're able to, you know, run the ball for a couple yards of carry. That second and one could have easily been a first down if he just hands it off to Bowser. So I think that's where the frustration comes in, but he said at halftime, we're going to go ahead and simplify this offense. We're going to make it a little easier uh, for our personnel to, to make plays. And I think they showed that in the second half. I mean, we came out after having scored only 10 points in that first half. We scored 31 in the second half. What did you see in that second half that gave you some optimism? Yeah, the adjustment. Um, and he said it himself, and he backed it up. He made it more simplistic, and and that's what we needed. You know, we saw the slants. The players were, um, you know, quick plays to the slants. The running game was really good. Um, I, I was happy to see R.J. Harvey get more playing time to do a little change of pace, give a different look on the defense. But I feel like they took advantage. They saw opportunities with SMU's defense, and they took advantage of that. And you're right, in the second half, it was a tail of two halves. Our 
we got to see Kobe Hudson shine in the second half. Finally got to see Ryan O'Keefe shine like he's supposed to. And glad that he did that because I'm not sure if you guys were aware, but there were NFL scouts at the game just for Ryan O'Keefe because they're looking for him to go to the NFL. And and, uh, one of the commentaries that they made before the game was like that he's having a down season, but they know that he's very talented and fast. But guess what? This game, he got to show it out. He got to show his talent. I want to say he scored two touchdowns this game. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was really good to start seeing our playmakers actually make some plays. And, you know, I think that first half looked a lot like what we probably thought it would, right? Obviously, we, we both predicted that this would be a loss for us, that our defense could keep us in the game for a little bit, but that overall it would overwhelm us and maybe we couldn't keep pace offensively. Um, you know, I definitely couldn't be happier to, uh, to be wrong on that, uh, that the second half came out, we looked like a completely different team. To put that into perspective... In the first half, we had 145 total yards on offense. We surpassed that in the third quarter alone. So clearly, whatever adjustments we were making were helping. And to your point, I think the big thing was getting the ball in the in the hands of our playmakers with room for them to make plays. Um, you know, the big play that, that seemed to keep coming back was we were running some uh, some deeper slants right at the right at the first down markers. And what we were watching was, you know, whether it was Javon Baker or O'Keefe or Kobe Hudson, um, you know, he was finding that one-on-one matchup in the, in the slot or in the slant, you know, with the slant route, and he was able to throw it to them. And you could see, the announcers were even pointing it out, where the receiver would either keep going upfield or he'd cut back towards the sideline just based off how the DB was playing. And it was money every time. You know, that 51-yard catch that opened the, uh, the second half uh, from Javon Baker was exactly that. It was a slant across the middle that he just kind of started weaving through people. Next thing you know, he's 51 yards down the field. We're scoring quickly. Um, I think we got to see more of that where we're getting the ball into their hands in space. And Javon Baker is a playmaker, and he had statistically his best game ever in college football yesterday. So, And he's it's, it's obvious that he's JRP's go-to wide receiver. But the thing about that is that's on tape, and everybody, the defenses of other teams are going to know that that's his go-to wide receiver, and you can't just keep forcing it. So one thing I will like, uh, not one thing, uh, many things that I liked in the second half is that John Rice Plumley started using our other wide receivers, and that's great because we that's that was our prediction at the beginning of the season, and that's what I mean by our offense is starting to get it together. Our weapons are starting to come together because you can't just be a one-trick pony and just throw it to one player, you know. So right now he threw it. Kobe Hudson had a great game. Um, Ryan O'Keefe had a great game. And obviously Javon Baker had a great game. So that's great for us to keep moving that forward. You got to spread the ball around to those players. They're all very talented. Um, I would, you know, the one thing I'd like to see in the future is using our tight ends as well so we can use those weapons. Uh, I still haven't seen, uh, you know, Keymore Gamble get as much uh, play as I'd like. But, you know, I'm not going to complain here, you know. I'm just, you know, just throwing that out there. I mean, a 41-19 win over a team that we thought that we were going to lose to is really good overall. So I'm really happy overall with the team's performance. The offense is growing, and um, and hopefully that's that's all it takes. Like, you know, he gets more confidence. And game to game, we're 1-0 in the conference. And hopefully they just this keeps improving as the season goes on. Because just like Gus said, you know, this a lot of these are new pieces, and they're gelling together. And, and unfortunately... You know, as fans, we'd like things to happen sooner than later, but it does take time for things to gel. Absolutely. You know, uh, we, we've talked about it a few times that, you know, it does take time to kind of get together. 
with your players and really get into a rhythm, and especially for a guy like Plum Lee who you know, hasn't actually been a quarterback uh, since his freshman year of college. Um, and he's also, another thing that was pointed out to me this week that I thought was really interesting was, you know, he hasn't actually, this was the first time he'd gone through spring football in his career. Because remember, he's playing baseball. Yeah, every spring. Point. And so, you know, a lot of people were um, getting interviewed, you know, before this game by the crew that from ESPN that did the game. And, you know, they were talking about it on the broadcast. They're like, yeah, like it was huge for him for to build relationships, to get him to the playbook you know, to to really take that next step as a quarterback because he has the time to practice. Whereas, you know, in, in previous off seasons he's been concentrating on baseball during that time. So, you know, when you think about how this is really one of his first seasons as a uh, as a college football quarterback and he it's one of his first springs, I think we probably should have expected a few growing pains. Um, and hopefully this game is evidence that he's turning a corner. I mean, 20 of 29 for 316 yards and two touchdowns. Now, a lot of those yards were coming after the catch, of course, but it was his decision-making to get the ball out fast. You know, I think his strength right now is, you know, within the, you know, 15 yards and in. I don't know if he's consistent enough on the deep ball. Maybe he can get there later in the year, but maybe that's what Gus meant when he said he simplified things in the in the second half. You know, it wasn't stretching the field as much as it was, look, if we can get the ball to our guys seven to eight yards down the field or more, you know, they can turn up the rest of the yards and, and we can really be in great shape. And I'm hoping this kick starts the rest of the year for our offense. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to agree with Gus. He said that they played their best football game this year, you know, so far, you know. And I have to agree, as a complete team overall, the team, both sides of the field, the special teams played really well. Um, shout out to Boomer again. And uh, I, we keep bringing up Boomer because he makes such a big difference in the offense as well. Because, like, I, I, I like if for example, we got three points in the first quarter, and that was from Boomer. I mean, if he, if we miss that kick, we go zero to seven. You know, we get the team gets deflated because it was a long drive. And then we're down 13 to 7 going into the half, you know, with him not kicking that. So it, it, it changes the offense. It gives the quarterback a little bit more confidence that he knows that he doesn't have to, like, you know, take more risky plays. And at the end of points, I believe, you know, points are points. You know, you see it in college football all day long on Saturday. Teams are losing by a field goal kick. So, you know, get points on the board because – you know, that's, that's in my opinion, just keep getting points. I don't care if it's three points, uh, safety points, you know, touchdown, whatever it is, extra points, whatever, just points, points, points. Let's get them on the board. 100%. And I think you're right about, you know, strategy playing into that. We're, we're at a point now, too, where, you know, we've got a defense that is good enough to actually get stops when they need to. And so when you can, when you play that way, getting points is important, right? If you know your defense is just going to let a touchdown up on the next drive, you know, regardless of your kicking situation, you're probably going to go for it, right? You're going to go try to get the touchdown because three points, what are they going to really do? But with our defense playing the way that they are, every single point that we can put up on the board is going to matter when it comes to, you know, being later in the game. And so you don't want to always have to be going for fourth downs, um, you know, in the opponent's territory when you have time to get points. And for to have someone like Colton Boomer right now who, remember, since he came in, he's only missed one extra point, which was in his first game. Since then, he has not missed a single kick, whether that is field goal or PAT. And, you know, that's got to give a lot of confidence to the coaching staff, to the players, that when he comes out, he's most likely going to be able to get it through the uprights and, and, and put us in a good spot. That confidence, you know, I think it comes through to the rest of the team. 
Yeah, so another thing I wanted to hear your perspective on is uh, the running backs mix. What are your thoughts on this game? It seemed like there was a new uh, a new running back in there that was playing with during the – it wasn't garbage time that actually made a big difference for us this year. Yeah, you know, I think the running game was really interesting in this particular game. First, obviously, every every week we've been watching Plumlee lead us in rushing. Um, this was the first week that that did not happen. It seemed like SMU had a very concerted effort to slow him down and basically say, look, if you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us with your arm. You're not going to beat us uh, running the ball. And and that shows up with his, uh, you know, on uh, 11 carries only with 32 yards. Definitely a low for him. But with that, um, you know, this was definitely the Isaiah Bowser and R.J. Harvey show. Um, Richardson had a couple of, of good carries and, you know, he, he was in the game a little bit, but for the most part, this was Isaiah Bowser and RJ Harvey getting the carries. Um, you know, but the one that looked the most impressive to me is RJ Harvey, who just continues to look that way. Um, you know, for anybody that doesn't remember last year, he would have been the starter going into the season had he not suffered an injury that put him out for the year in training camp. Um, and obviously then we watched Bowser have such a great year. And in this game, don't get me wrong, Bowser had a great game, 15 attempts, 62 yards, uh, and three touchdowns. But R.J. Harvey, I mean, looks like a really good cross between Richardson and Isaiah Bowser. What did you think watching him? Yeah, I mean, uh, I feel like he's a hybrid of the both. And he looked really, really good. And uh, when, um, when I was watching the game, me and my buddy at the game, Jason Hoskins, we were just there watching the game. And I'm just like, man, he's, he, he comes to me, he's like, you think R.J. Harvey should be starting? I was like, hey, do you remember? Last year he was supposed to be the starter. So, I mean, he's legit. Um, obviously he had a pretty uh, a bad injury, and it's taken a while to get back. But, yeah, he's looking really, really good. I'm glad to see that we have him um, playing well. So that gives us three running backs, another offensive weapon that Gus can use moving forward. So, yeah, I like R.J. Harvey a lot. I don't think – well, I don't. I don't know how it's gonna play out, you know, because just like anything in life, it's uh, it's you know, Bowser. I think is uh, Gus's uh, favorite, and he asked Bowser to come back for this year, so I think he's still gonna be RB RB number one. But uh, hopefully, RJ Harvey gets a lot more playing time in the in the middle of the game, like we needed, because uh, he helped he helped that second half on the team, because he didn't that he didn't play in the first half that I recall, so he was part of the second half to help that team to help us, you know, get a lot of yards. Because one thing about Bowser. Um, and he scores a lot of touchdowns in the red zone, and I love that about him. But, you know, there's positives and negatives in everybody, and his negative is that he's only averaging three yards per, you know, per carry, whereas R.J. Harvey came in there and was, like, getting, you know, eight-yard gain, nine-yard gain, you know, you know, he was definitely making a big difference on his plays coming in. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing him play more. His stats reflect uh, what you're saying. You saw with your eyes, right? It was uh... – he had seven attempts for 69 yards, averaging 9.9 yards Woo. a carry. Yeah, he was looking good. I mean, he was looking good. He made he he was a big difference too. He was part of that second half, uh, the tails of two halves. So uh, if we want to see more of that that offensive uh, that also offensive momentum, yeah, I would love to see RJ Harvey play some more. And it's funny you said something earlier. I will tell you that lately, sometimes going to these games. Has been, a real, has been a little bit tough, man, because we're used to, like, these big scoring games, offensive scoring touchdowns, and some of these games have just been gruesomely going down to the wire, and it's just like, oh, my goodness. You know what I mean? Ugly. Yeah, we've been getting Ws, but they've been kind of some ugly games. This is a this is a good old UCF fast game, you know what I'm saying? This is the this is a, this is, you should have saw the we were the crowd that was there and obviously anybody got to go see, but the crowd was there was like you said, pleasantly surprised and very happy and super pumped with this offense. So I wanna see more of that second half team go forward. 
I agree. You know, I think the big thing was, um, you know, we were able to get the ball to our playmakers. I mean, our running backs, you know, we had uh, R.J. Harvey and Isaiah Bowser. Both looked really good. Um, you know, our receiving core, you know, the ball was spread around. You know, Baker had himself a day, 138 yards. O'Keefe, 117. Kobe Hudson, 53. You know, we had Xavier Townsend, Alec Holler, Kimor Gamble, all with receptions. So, I mean, you know, this this to me is what the offense should look like. You know, we don't necessarily need one person that's going to, you know, carry the whole team. It's about, you know, can Plumlee just orchestrate the offense the way that it needs to, to happen, right? He's got the playmakers around him. He doesn't have to be Superman. He can give the ball to O'Keefe and see him go do what he's got to do, or Baker, or, or Harvey, or Bowser, you know? So I think if we, if this second half jumpstarts us, to and that's who we're going to be the rest of the year, the rest of the schedule's really got to look out. But, of course, they've got to prove it. They've got to prove it next week and the week after, right? Because after Temple, you know, we'll get into it, but after this week at Temple, the real uh, strongest part of our schedule comes up right after that. And so if, if this is what we'll look like, I'm optimistic. But, um, you know, with that, we, we've spent a lot of time on the offense. I definitely want to flip over to the defense and talk about what they did, considering uh, what a complete performance they put on for 60 minutes. Uh, who stood out to you on the defensive side of the ball? Uh, two players stood out to me. Uh, the first one is uh, TMB, uh, Trayvon Morris Brash. I mean, he's he's our best player on the line. He's he's just a playmaker in general. I've always been a big fan of his, and he he comes to play, and he's always making plays. Uh, so yeah, he stood out for me. I, I like to see him play as much as possible, but like you always tell me, the D line they need rest because uh, when you're in the trenches, and it makes sense, you know, more energy is taken out of you. But, man, if I could see him play every down, I would if I could. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the second player is Kobe Perry, man. Um, I, I knew Kobe Perry had a lot of talent. We've interviewed him on this podcast. Uh, great guy. Um, very talented player in the FCS. And I uh, was hoping that he was going to get more uh, playing time early on. Um, he didn't see it as much. But, man, this game, he did get a lot of playing time. And he got to show uh, his worth. And he was one of our leading tacklers of the game. And, um, yeah, Kobe Perry is very talented. So that just we, – we have so much talent on our team that he wasn't even getting playing time. That just shows how strong this defense is. And one thing we can confirm moving forward is that this is a, def- a championship defense. The defense alone is top quality. Uh, I think it's better than Cincinnati's defense. I think it's this is the best defense in the American Conference, in my opinion. So kudos to our defense line. So that's what I think about the defense overall. But yeah, the two outstanding players from my perspective is TMP. Who are a couple of players you might think that were outstanding? Uh, yeah, you know, I think I agree with both of those first. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I'm super happy for Kobe. I mean, that's that's so great for him to get the opportunity. Uh, you're right. You know, we, we are so stacked that we had, you know, some good starters in, in, our, in our secondary to begin with. And it really was the last few weeks because of some injuries has allowed him to come in. But he has made the most of those opportunities. And that fourth down stop he had, um, you know, was just as big as anything that happened coming into that second half. I mean, you know, uh, we came out right at the beginning. We get the ball, we score. We give the ball to SMU right afterwards. And, you know, if SMU goes down the field and they score – um, you know, now we're in a track meet, and I don't know if we want to different ball game. Yeah, I don't know if we want to be in a track meet yeah. with an SMU offense as good as they are, right? So for him to to make that stop, and and let's let's not get it twisted here, that stop on fourth down is a really hard play to make. Uh, you know, he's in the open field. Uh, you gotta 
you know, it's not just about tackling him. It's about making sure that he doesn't gain that extra yard or two because that's all he needed for the first down. And it's a completely different possession. So huge, huge stop. I really hope that that just, you know, keeps earning him more playing time. So very, very cool. And Traylon Morris Brash, I mean, he's he's definitely, he's our best defensive lineman. Um, you know, his the move he made on that safety to get past the tackle, I mean, the tackle totally whiffed. He, he didn't <laughs> have any chance whatsoever at, at touching him. And then he just ambushed the quarterback in the end zone. So, I mean, you're, you're good for one or two amazing plays from him every single week. So, I mean, that's an NFL player. But... For me, the big thing I want to talk about is this secondary. I mean, this is going to be one of the toughest offenses we play, and the big thing they like to do is air the ball out. They're not a big running team. You know, they've got Tanner Mordecai back there, who his entire goal is to throw the ball down the field. I saw a lot of people on UCF uh, um, Twitter that were going through some different SMU plays before the game, and one of the things they kept referencing was that, you know, once they were inside of the 40-yard line on each side, you know, like right around midfield, they like to take shot plays. Those plays were not there. And that comes down to Corey Thornton, that comes down to Devontae Brown, and it comes down to Brandon Adams. Those three guys, even though there were a couple of, in my opinion, light pass interference penalties that were called on them, they were always in position. They were always there to make sure that it was going to either be a really, really tough catch or a pass breakup. They all had their own pass breakups in this game. And when you took away that shot play from SMU, it kept them from scoring almost the entire second half. So, I mean, I, I definitely really like watching our secondary play. They're deep and experienced. It's it's really cool to watch. Oh, absolutely. And I just want to – you brought it up, so you triggered something for me. Both of those uh, pass interference plays were – I don't know. They weren't, they weren't legit because the offensive wide receiver had their hands on the players as well. So, one of the plays was funny because um, – um, Adams, he got, he was so pissed. I mean, he was, I don't know if you can see it on the TV uh, uh, broadcast, but at the game, he was livid. He was like in the ref's face. Like, how are you going to call this on me? Like, what is going on here? And like, so then they run another play to him and he makes sure not to touch the wide receiver whatsoever and, and then knocks the ball out of the, the player's hand and he just looks at the ref like, what are you going to call this on me now again? So, mm-hmm. I mean, our guys are legit and both of those should have not been called because uh, the wide receivers had their hands on our players as well. It was a mutual, you know, mutual exchange. Yeah, I think the refs had a, like, to, to be fair, I thought the refs were actually really good. Um, you know, they, they were not penalty happy, uh, but I do think they had some issues with pass interference. Um, you know, there were a couple that they called on UCF that they shouldn't have. And to be honest with you, the one the one that they, they didn't call, that there was that drive, it was, it was not the, it was the drive right after, um, so we score, SMU gets the ball, Kobe Perry gets the fourth down stop, we get the ball again, we we punt it back to them, right? They're backed up on their end zone. They get two pass interferences on that drive that gives them 30 yards. And um, that that is, you know, really, I, I think both of those calls were tough. But then they, on third down, they throw a pass into the end zone where a UCF player, in my mind, actually does commit a pass interference. <laughs> and they don't call it. And they don't call it. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, do you, are you guys, do you, do you know what that's about? Like, I don't know. Make them call. Yeah, ex- maybe, maybe. But, uh, but yeah, so, but overall, I mean, the, the DBs were, were in a good spot. You know, I got to say there was one, too, with Nakai Martinez. Um, it was another deep ball where he was, he was right on the goal line. And, um, you know, he was in great position. If he had, to, if he turned his head around, he would have probably intercepted it. But uh, it hit him right on the top of the head for a nice pass breakup. But the positioning was great. That's what I could say about the whole game, you know, for a team that, you know, really wants to stretch the field 
I will say, you know, the big receiver that we had to watch out for was Rasheed Rice uh, for SMU. Um, and he had he had himself a game. I mean, he still had, he had 12 catches for 122 yards. But we didn't let him take over the game. And to be clear, I actually think that uh, UCF got a little lucky with some of the plays that Rice was making. Um, you know, he started the... Um, he started the game, that first drive, that fumble was Rasheed Rice on that first drive. Um, so we got the ball. Um, then he had another drop on uh, on third down later in the game that was perfect throw. Perfect throw, right in right into his hands, and he, he dropped it. Um, you know, so I think a couple of those plays, you know, really, really made an impact. Not to take anything away from the defense, but, um, but yeah, I think those drops really helped. Uh, you know, there was another one late in the game um, where it was uh, – Tanner Mordecai was rolling out. He had a, he he actually got out of the pocket, made a bit a lot of things happen. He he threw it up to to his running back Siggers, Trey Siggers, and um, Siggers, you know, got got excited about the end zone right in front of him and ended up ended up dropping that pass as well. So, um, you know, that happens happens in college football, of course, but uh, but those were big plays too, um, you know, and and all of it really came together for you know again when we were picking this game. The SMU offense was one of the ones we were the most worried about, and for them to have 13 points um, all the way till their final drive of the game, you know, scoring a garbage time touchdown, uh, you can't ask for anything better. This was this was the performance we wanted to see, um, you know, as, as a team. And you know, what do you think? How, how do you feel about UCF now? Well, I feel good. I just want to give two shout outs to two other players that also had uh, nine tackles, just as Kobe Perry did, and they were our leading tacklers for the game. Uh, both are linebackers, so I'm very happy to see that. Uh, Jermaine, Gene, Baptiste, and Jason Johnson. It's always good to see the linebackers have no uh, more tackles. You don't want that to be your DBs. And that happened to be, if I'm not mistaken, last year our DBs were early tacklers, and that just shows a little bit of a, a weaker defense. So uh, glad to see the linebackers this game be our leading tacklers, as well as Kobe Perry. But how do I feel? I feel very optimistic. I feel really good. And this is actually talking about the conference play as well. Because as the season started, us, and I'd say most of the national media pundits and also the UCF local media, uh, they had a little bit different perspective from a lot of teams in the American Conference. I mean, first of all, Houston was supposed to be a big player this year. And they're not looking that great. I think they're 3-3. Three and three. Uh, they barely beat East Carolina. Or was it or was it East Carolina, right? They barely beat them. Uh, East, or was it no? Was it Memphis? Or, I'm sorry, I'm getting them. This past week it was Memphis. Memphis. I apologize. So Memphis had the game won in Memphis. Uh, shame on them. They're they're leading the game, and then and the fourth quarter was what 29 to seven, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And Houston comes back to win the game. So uh, you know, shame on Memphis for losing that game in the fourth quarter. But Houston's three and three. Um, they're not looking that they're going to be the conference uh, in the conference championship game as the way they're playing. The team that is surprising me is Tulane. Tulane's looking really good. Um, I mean, not. I, I did think Tulane's a good team. I I, I think they recruit really well. I, I like their coach. Um, it's been a couple years, so this looks like it's going to be the year for them. So we're playing them. So that's going to be a challenging game for us. So. Put Tulane up there as another challenging game. Obviously, Cincinnati, you know, is the uh, the you know the Cinderella of our conference because the last couple of years, but they looked pretty weak as well lately. They've been looking uh, they've been looking a little bit suspect as well. Um, USF went up to Cincinnati and pretty much almost beat them. 
I was leading uh, many times in the game and only ended up losing by four points. I know we're not uh, USS probably not happy about losing the you know the game, but it it says a lot that you know USF's considered one of the worst teams in our conference to almost beat Cincinnati like that. So Cincinnati is a little bit suspect in my opinion. They still got a good record. They're five and one as well. Um, um, they're not going to be a pushover. Um, they, they're, they're right now. They're still the top dog in our conference until beaten, and we, we got a losing streak with them. So this is going to be a big game for us. So those are going to be challenging games. I think you mentioned earlier we're going to the toughest part of our schedule. The Temple game is going to be a home game. It's going to be the space game. We'll get more into that later. But you know, um, like uh, Scott off off before the podcast mentioned to me, he's like, you predicted we're going to be forty nine to seven. Tony, I was like, and I, I still agree, Scott. I think it's going to be 49 to 7. So uh, I'll give them a touchdown. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but other than that, I mean, Sean's right. We got some tough games coming up. And it's really going to make or break our season, to be honest with you. Because uh, we, those are the two teams that are looking to be in the championship. I'd say it's Tulane, Cincinnati, and UCF are the top three teams right now. So, yeah. yeah, what are your thoughts? I completely agree. I think, you know, it's a great time right now to reset kind of where what our expectations are for the conference. Um, you know, I think there are some teams we thought would be really good that maybe aren't as good and some teams we weren't sure that now are, are going to be really good. Um, you know, East Carolina is still no pushover. They just had some of the tougher games already. You know, um, they're one and two in conference, but that's still going to be a tough game for us. Um, you know, I think Houston, everybody thought Houston would be the team to beat, and maybe they're not. You know, I think – just like the rest of college football has been this whole season, you know, one week a team looks like they're going to, you know, make it to the, to a big bowl game, be a top 10 team. And then the next week they lose to somebody they shouldn't, you know I mean? And we just watched it. I mean, A&M is a great example this weekend where we saw, you know, they lost to Appalachian state and then they almost beat Alabama. You know what I mean? So it's like football this year feels more wide open than it, than it has in a long time. And I, and I think our conference is the same. Um, You know, I think, you know, while we maybe uh, like Houston didn't come through as much as we might thought. To your point, Tulane is is a scary team um, that we're gonna have to pay attention to. And we're playing in Tulane; it's not a home game. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, last year was a tough game against Tulane. It was. You know, we we just barely um, passed them last year at Ugly home. Ugly win. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, I again on the broadcast, you know, really kudos to that broadcast team um, for bringing this up uh, when it comes to Tulane because they were talking about the UCF schedule and the American. And they mentioned that Tulane last year, because of you know a hurricane that came through, they had to spend a portion of their season in Birmingham. You know that's where they were practicing, and it totally threw off their rhythm. And they still had a decent season even after that. But they brought almost everybody back onto this team, and they're coming back hoping that they can have the kind of year they thought they were going to have last year before they were totally disrupted by a hurricane. And they're showing it. I mean, they're five and one. Um, you know, they're two and zero in conference. Uh, they are a team that, you know, we are going to have to pay attention to. And they, same- got, they got some weapons. I was going to tell you, I watched the game. I watched some of their game um, over this weekend, and Tulane's got some weapons. So um, mm-hmm. they, they're they more scary than we might think. Absolutely. And then Memphis, too. I mean, Riley Ferguson, the quarterback for Memphis, is a good player. I mean, he he's a guy who, when he gets some time back there, he can really carve up a defense. And so, you know, they're not going to be – they're going to want to – they're going to be super motivated when they play us. We get them on the road. Um, you know what I mean? So that's not going to be an easy game. I mean, you look right here. The the top four in the conference right now, the top top four, even top five. Let's go top five. Top five right now is Cincinnati, Tulane, UCF, Memphis, and Navy. Now, 
every single person that I just mentioned that's not UCF is on our schedule before the end of the year. Okay, so wow. so we will have to play all of them. And if we can beat them all, we will be in the conference championship. But that's what it's about. Um, you know, I know you mentioned uh, our schedule coming up. I mean, Tulane or Temple, the space game, we'll definitely get into all the, the details around that. But right after that, we go to ECU on the road. The following week is Cincinnati at home. Following week is Memphis on the road. Then we get Tulane on the road. Or Tulane at home, I'm sorry. No, Tulane's on the road also. Yeah, so the only game we have home there is Cincinnati. ECU, Memphis, and Tulane all on the road. Okay, so if you look at that stretch of the schedule, that's going to determine what happens for, to us. We, we run the table in that situation. We're going we're gonna to be in the conference championship game. We're, we're set to have a big season. But any, any stumbling there, those games are going to keep us out of, the, out of the conference championship. So it's good to see that our offense and our defense clicked in our first conference game. Let's see that momentum carry over to the Temple game and then see what we can do from there. Um, you know, but we're there. We've got the talent. I think we've got the team. We just got to go out and prove it. Yeah, we need to definitely the click on the Temple game because we need that momentum to go on the stretch. So, yeah, looking forward to this game. It's going to be an important game for us to, you know, get in rhythm, keep gelling because we're going to need our A game away at East Carolina. The, a big game versus Cincinnati. Cincinnati still ranks on the top 25. Um, as of now, they're the only ranked team we're playing. So that, that's a big deal. Uh, the Memphis is away. Tulane's away. Back-to-back away games? Yeah, you're right, man. This is going to be very, very challenging. So, that, you know, you got to deal with travel. So there's no rest for those games. They're, you know, so that's going to be challenging. And then after that, you know, the, the thing we forget sometimes as fans is, like, these players are getting beat up throughout the season. You know, they, there's injuries they're not reporting. They got nick, they got nicks. You know, they're beat up. And then what do they get? After all this tough stretch, they get Navy. And everybody knows Navy is rough, rough. Why is Navy, like, what? The, why are they such a rough team? Well, it's because of the, the offense that they run, the type of the game plan that they run, right? You know, they – in football, there's a common, um, you know, I guess philosophy that if you can be physical and run the ball, you'll wear a team down, right? Because, you know, while throwing to a guy in space and running, it, it has its own challenges. Nobody wants to get beat up every single play all over and over and over again, right? And so they'll they'll run the the option where they have you know a fullback and a really big bruising running back, and they're both running into the hole every time. And so if I'm a linebacker, I'm a defensive lineman, I'm a DB, and I just get hit over and over and over and over again by this fullback, by this running back, by the third quarter, you don't want it anymore. You know, you don't want to you don't want to take that hit again. You don't want to have to deal with, you know, okay, he's coming through the hole and he's going to pop me again. Like, I don't, you know, maybe I'm going to step back a bit. And that's when the holes get bigger, right? And that's how players, you know, they get worn down. It's just it's a it's just a really physical game going against a team that is trying to just run every play. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you said, but don't their old line also do something they're known for? Um, I don't want to say it's chop blocking, but their offensive line are known for like hitting the. I don't know. I, I just I know that even their old line is more physical and you know taking shots as soon as, you know wherever they can to keep making you weaker. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. They're they're a tough game. I mean, last year we saw it. I mean, we we should have beaten them, but we didn't. Should have. I mean, they they wore us down. 
they wore us down, and and they were able to get what they needed by the end of the game, and that that's what you got to guard against is is wearing down against a team like that. And we get them. At, I mean, luckily we get them at home, but we get them right after that tough stretch. Yeah, and that's where our having a good kicker like Boomer is a uh, golden because mm-hmm. you're right. It's going to be a tough game, and this defense is going to hopefully shut them down. I'm a, they they had a year under their belt. It was the first time that our defense coordinator got to experience them. None against him. He's a, he, I love our, our defense coordinator, but he probably wasn't prepared for them. And it was like in the middle, you know. But I think now they had they got tape. They've had a whole year under the belt. So this is a good game to see how the defense plays against them. Not I, I think our defense is a championship defense. They're very talented. But you know, you're right. Navy's challenging the way they come to attack. So th- this is where the depth and the talent that we keep talking about is going to come into play. Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, with that, let's go ahead and, and talk a little bit about the Temple game. Um, you know, from a from a football perspective, you know, I won't spend tons of time um, going over it because uh, Temple, unfortunately, they are having a rough year. Um, you know, the, the, they're still trying to come back, you know, get themselves back to being uh, a little bit more of a respectable football program. Um, you know, they've had a couple of rough years, and this year looks like to be a, a similar situation. The most recent game was this last Saturday. Um they played on October 1st against the Memphis Tigers. Uh, they did lose that game 24 to three. You know, they had a, they had a real tough time running the ball. Their leading rusher had 18 yards. They had a real tough time passing the ball. Also uh, their quarterback had three interceptions and no touchdowns. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're not exactly coming up against a world beater here. Uh, I, uh, I did see some projected point totals in terms of like, you know, would we be favored in this game? And, uh, pure projection at this point has us at a uh, thirty-one and a half point favorite. Wow! Um, so you know, I, I from an X's and O's perspective, um, you know, I don't think there's too much to go into this. So what I really want to do is take advantage of talking about this is our space game. Yeah, this is yeah. a game we look forward to every year. Um, you know, let's start there. What are some of your favorite things that we do when it comes to the space game? Well, I like my space jerseys, but in the past they haven't been available. Uh, it's been really hard to get. Uh, last year, I was able to get the 2018 one, the black space jersey. I got to give a shout out to uh, 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 Britt's mom. She actually uh, purchased it for me, and uh, I was able to collect it from her at the space game last year. So, shout out to Britt's mom, Jan. She's great. Um, so, yeah, also, if you guys can, always look to try to help out the Brits brunches coming up with the Brits bunch. So, if you guys can support. Please uh, shout, support them if you can. But, yeah, going into the space game this year, you and me got lucky. We got a little bit extra swag. Uh, what was the space jersey you were able to pick up this year? Yeah, so I think it was the uh, – I'm trying to think which one it was. It was the gray one. Well, I think um, – did you get – is it either it's either 2019 or 2021? I think it's the 2021 one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The 2021 one, yeah, it's the gray one. Um, I love the space jerseys, man. I'm, I, I would love to collect as many as I can. Yeah, yeah. Fanatics is starting to sell them. I Heck love yeah. it. I love it. I love that they're starting to, to put them out there to the public. Um, you know, we need to lean into it. Um, you know, I, I just love the change of pace. I love the fact that you know every team has some things that are relatively unique to them. Yeah. Um, I think it's really cool that we have this. Uh, you know, the UCF football program. They uh, they changed their logo this week to the Citronaut. Yeah. Which Citronaut. I think is, you know, Citronaut to you. For sure. I, trust me, I am not on that train that we need to change our logo <laughs> no, and, no, 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 and do all that stuff. But I think it's awesome. As, as you I don't know. mind that one week a year. Exactly. Know? I mean, again, you know, the uh, we are black and gold all the way. But, you know, for one week, we can go ahead and get that Canaveral blue in there. Ooh, yeah. I like that, too. Yeah. Uh, I'm really interested to see what they do with it this year, you know, because we've already done, you know, the space shuttle. And, you know, we've had those black jerseys. So I'm really interested to see where we go. Maybe this year is another black one. 
I'd like to see uh, uh, the blue. I'd like to see the blue come in. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? That'd be nice. That'd be like surprisingly. Uh, shout out to UCF Football Edits. He just did a version of it, um, and he has a Carnival Blue version. It looks beautiful. So if you guys want to check that out, you can check him out. UCF Football Edits on Instagram and Twitter. He does a lot of different concepts with the uniforms, and it looks beautiful. I'd like to see his version come out. So let's see. That's my opinion. If I could see that Carnival Blue, I'd like to see it. Just, you know, like you said, just to be different, you know, because mm-hmm. we're never, ever going to wear a Carnival Blue throughout the year. So if we could do it this week. That'd be cool, you know? For sure. You know, I think it's a nice, you know, because before when before we did the Space Game, right, you know, we, we had all those different combinations, obviously with Anthracite and everything. So, um, you know, I definitely support the decision to simplify our look overall to go more, you know, black and white. You know, we don't what, need... What you think is some Anthracite maybe? Bring it back for the Space I don't know. That, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> you know, this particular game gives us the opportunity to do things we might not normally do. And I think that's really cool. I think we, we, we lean into it, um, you know, as a as a school as a fan base so it, it's, and, it's and you know the recruits love it what are, what are the jerseys they're always wearing <laughs> oh yeah yeah every recruiting visit right none of these guys are posting any pictures in our regular jerseys <laughs> yeah yeah because these are badass jerseys i mean we've won the swag U award when they they've ranked the jerseys throughout um college football we've won it multiple years because of space jersey everybody everybody like it's uh, I got a buddy of mine that I work with, but he works up in uh, in up in um, New Hampshire, and he he loves he loves NASA. And just because he loves NASA, he's like, yeah, I gotta get me that for work. I gotta get some Space U gear. So he's got like Space U gear just because he's a, a space he's a space fan. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's nice that the space fans that not, might not necessarily be a football fan are connecting us with UCF because we are Space U, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you grew up in the area, you know. I mean, odds are you've probably been to a, a launch. You've watched a launch at some point, right? Or you've been to Kennedy Space Center. Or so many of our alumni are, are from NASA. It's, it's you know, the leading, you know, our school is the leading provider of, uh, of employees to NASA. So, I mean, when you think about all the connections, um, I think it's just natural. And I think we all have a little bit of an affinity for, for space, just given where we grew up. So uh, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. I love stuff like that. College football should be fun. Um, well, cool. Anything else you want to add about the space game? Um, or we can go ahead and get into our, our last news and notes. Oh, no. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see. Uh, I'll just tell you from experience, if you haven't been to the game, it's really fun. It happens to be this year in October, so people dress up anyway at all games because it's a Halloween month and, you know, everybody likes to dress up. But the games that haven't, the Space U games have been another month in the past. People dress up and they do like space things. So I've seen like people dress up as astronauts, aliens. So that's kind of cool, man, to see people, you know, walk into the stadium dressed like that. And, and it's just nice to see everybody with the Citronauts and uh, Space U gear. And yeah, it's a, it's a fun, a fun atmosphere. Definitely. Um, well, cool. Well, hopefully, hopefully we'll see you all out there uh, at the Temple game. That's this Thursday. Uh, go out. You know, feel free to, to to bring your space gear. It should be a should be a great time. Hopefully, a uh, a huge win for UCF. It gets them going into the the tougher part of their schedule. Yeah, and if you can't go, it's uh, gonna be on ESPN. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, a couple of quick news and notes before we go ahead and uh, and toss it over to our uh, toast of the nightcap. Uh, we have uh, a commitment this week uh, coming from a tight end who is a uh, a four star on Rivals who has flipped from FSU in Randy Pittman. Um, so I think that's a huge fit uh, for us. I think he's a guy that can come in and and really play in this offense. Um, what are your thoughts on Randy Pittman? 
Well, from what I'm hearing from um, um, the recruiting analysts is that Randy Pittman reminds them of uh, HBTV, uh, not TV, HBTE tight end that that uh, is similar to other Gus tight ends in the past that he can use. And one thing interesting about Randy Pittman is that he's played multiple positions in high school. He's actually played quarterback, not full time, but he's you know he's played it. He's had the help on quarterback, wide receiver, tight end, H back. So he's a very uh, versatile, and I think that's what Gus loves about him. He's got a great, nice body. FSU really wanted him, and many teams wanted him. SCC and ACC schools were heavily recruiting him, and he's up from the Panhandle area. So the 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 FSU fans really expected him to not to not decommit. So it was very surprising for them. Um, so the story was is that he came down to Orlando. His high school team had to come down to Orlando to play, and he got to come on campus. He got to meet the coaching staff, and after that. Um, and it wasn't an official visit, just that visit alone, he decommitted. He, he, didn't, he didn't commit right away, but after that trip. So I think he felt like, you know, I need to keep my options open. This UCF, uh, he liked the program, and, uh, and here we are. It's, uh, he, he committed on his birthday. His birthday was Saturday. So, you know, happy birthday, Randy Pittman. Thank you for making UCF part of your birthday. Looking forward to having you on the team. Uh, yeah, and, but one thing I want to say is, uh, wow, Things have sure changed for us, and that's one of the positives that I got to shout out Gus. So um, there's always positives and negatives, uh, and one of the huge positives is Gus knows how to recruit because here's another four-star. I mean, I, I remember when we used to dream about getting one four-star recruit. I mean, now it just seems like it's every other player is a four-star recruit. So uh, I'm, I'm loving Gus's recruiting and the team, and you know what they say, um, so it's all about the players. You get the more talent you have, you know, it, it makes up for coaching errors. So keep the talent coming. Yeah, you know, it, it's been so impressive watching what he's been able to do on the recruiting trail. I mean, it's better than we've ever seen, um, you know. And so he clearly has an understanding of how to do it. I mean, right now we have more four stars committed to this class coming up than we've had over the last four or five years combined. And so it's like probably more than that, probably the last 20 years combined. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, if that's the kind of team that we're going to be bringing with us into the Big 12, um, you know, it's got to keep us optimistic about this coaching staff, about the trajectory of the program. Um, you know, it feels really good. You know, I hopefully. mean, look, this year we got three freshmen contributing. We got Colton Boomer, true freshman, Nakai Martinez, true freshman, Xavier Townsend, true freshman. These guys are contributing to yeah. our team this year, to our wins. And that's just three players. The rest, you know, obviously can't get in right now. But, you know, you get – I mean, even look at Texas A&M, just an example. They had a lot of young players playing against Alabama, a lot of freshmen and sophomores playing in that game. And these are, like, five-star players, four-star players. So, yeah, talent, you know, if you, you know, you can keep bringing that talent. It makes up for, you know, a lot of other mistakes. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really excited to watch what these classes look like. I mean, you know, we're, this is year two for Gus. I mean, can you imagine what year three or four is going to look like when all these guys Ooh, have experience? I, I can only dream, and Gus keeps making my dreams come true, um, but I can only dream to be one day in the top. You know what? I'm not even going to jump that far, but, you know, I like to take it baby steps. We've never been in the top 25 in a recruiting class, to my knowledge, right? Right? Top 20. Never, no, right? Not. I mean, what's the best we have? I mean, this last year was the best we ever had. And, and what it was, was that? 
I think that was still in the 50s. I would, you know, I didn't want to say it because it, it makes me cringe, but I feel like we barely get around 50. You know, we're in that 50 range, you know. This class, previous class, might have been 48, maybe. We've been living in the 60s before Gus. Exactly. So, even then, we're still, like, in the, like, low 50s, high 40s, maybe. But... I will say this. I mean, obviously, I'd like to be in the top five one day, but I'm not going to go crazy. So, let, I would just love to see every year us keep that, you know, getting better and better on the class. So, it'd be nice to, you know, get in the, the top 40 and then the top 30 and just, you know, because Gus is here to stay. And, um, and you know, we got to take the good and the bad. And one of the goods is he knows how to bring talented players. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's hopefully going to be an exciting few years coming up. You know, speaking of, uh, you know, a topic that – you know, some of the fan base have, have uh, addressed. Over they got riled weeks. up about it recently. Yeah, I think, it, you know, something we want to address as well. Uh, you know, there was an interview that came out where Terry Mahajer mentioned that uh, he had been given the option of uh, playing a home-and-home home with the Washington Huskies, University of Washington, um, you know, and that he turned it down for various reasons, um, most of it having to do with, um, you know, obviously we're moving into the Big 12, and so we're going to have an extra conference game. So one less non-conference game. Um, the fact that it's a massive travel obligation, you know, going all the way to Washington State from Florida is not an easy thing. But he turned it down for a variety of reasons and said he'd prefer to play games in Florida uh, as opposed to that. And given, you know, the the fan base, uh, how much we want to play Power 5 schools, like really well-known Power 5 schools, I think there were some people that were upset about it. Uh, but what were your thoughts? My thoughts are, I agree with... Um... With our AD, I mean, Washington's on the other side of the of the you know of the United States of America. Like we're literally on the bottom of the you know southeast. They're all the way northwest, you know. And there's a lot of travel, and I know the fans are aware of this. For the fans that travel to go to those Arizona games, those Fiesta Bowl games, it, it, even for us traveling, it was a bit of a pain. And you know, you get a little bit of jet lag and having to deal with that. So imagine these uh these college players having to do that go across country for games so that's not really you know that's not really super fun and then obviously the fan base isn't going to be travel i mean you might have some people here and there that are going to be able to go but come on let's be realistic do you think a majority of our fans are going to go to washington to watch a game so we're not going to have any fan presence there compared to if we play any florida teams where we're going to have a huge fan presence there I'll tell you this, when we go play Gainesville, I guarantee UCF fans are going to try to buy as many tickets as possible. We're definitely going to sell out our whole section, that's for sure. And I know our fans are going to, they're going to pony up and buy as many tickets as they can. So they're not going to do that at the University of Washington, you know. It just, it's not feasible, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I, I see, my, I agree with him. I think it was the right decision. Uh, I know there's a lot of other things that came into play, you know, that maybe we're not aware of but just based on that i'm okay with it you know um i'd rather play teams closer that we our fans could travel to ideally you know um so that in my opinion i think it was the right move yeah i think the underrated thing that um you know our fan base needs to understand um moving into the big 12 is you know obviously uh, my entire time being a fan obviously ucs entire existence up until this moment um, you know, we've wanted to play as many Power Fives as we can, right? Because we need to boost our schedule. We need to get those Power Five teams in. We're about to go into a position where we're going to have nine Power Five teams on our schedule every year, guaranteed. No guaranteed. Matter what. Guaranteed. Nine. 
right? And then, um, you know, normally we would have those four non-conference games where we'd want to have two Power Fives. We're only going to have three now, right? Yep. And they're not going to sacrifice the, you know, the FCS team that we're going to have in there. They're definitely going to have one Power Five and then, you know, one team that maybe is more, more Group of Five. That's going to be the scheduling philosophy. So if you only get one Power Five a year um, after we move to the Big 12, you know, you do have to be more selective. And I know that he's had, obviously, uh, some success scheduling with Florida, um, and he's referenced that he's continuing to have conversations with both Florida State and Miami. And it sounds like they're receptive to it if they can find an open date that works, right? And so if all of a sudden he comes out over the next few years and gives us a home-and-home home with Miami, a home-and-home home with Florida State, and a home-and-home home with, with Florida, like, I mean, I'm not going to mind that we didn't go to Washington. Not that Washington's not a great program. Not that I don't think that it would be a great addition to the schedule. I think it absolutely would. But given everything that we just said, you know, imagine that, that you know, that huge trip to Washington, we got to come back home to then fly back out west for our first conference game against whoever, yeah, Texas I mean, Tech, Oklahoma State. Yeah, exactly. And then look at this. I just want to give an example because some games were already pre-planned before we went into the Big 12. Uh, 2025 UCF football schedule, all three uh, – well, yeah, I'd say all three of our opponents are – two of them are definitely power fives. One of them – I guess it's technically going into the American, so you know, my power six, I guess, if you want to, you know, American. Uh, but anyway, in 2025, we're playing Maryland, we're playing North Carolina, and we're playing the Florida Atlantic Owls. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, cupcake teams. Plus, what did you say? Our nine uh, power five, other nine that guaranteed Big 12 games? Mm-hmm. That's going to be a tough year. And, and he actually mentioned that. He goes... You know, even though that might look great, it's it's you know, it's not it's not it's not it's not the way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know, in some in some cases, um, you know, we make a mountain out of a molehill <laughs> as a fan base, maybe. Yeah, 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 you for know? sure. Like, oh my gosh, we need this, but like really thinking about it overall, right? I think Terry's done a great job to earn our trust. I think Gus has done a great job to earn our trust. Um, are they perfect all of the time? No, no one is, right? But at the end of the day, I think they've done a lot of great things to push us forward. I think we're right now in a better spot than we were when they both took their jobs. And as long as they keep that going, I, I feel very confident in letting them make whatever decisions they have to make. Yep, you're right. We're going on the positive trajectory. That's the trajectory we want to go on. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, well, so that'll that'll pretty much do it for us this uh, with, with this episode. Uh, obviously, an extremely great game. Um, you know, put a great taste in our mouth here after this SMU game. Um, you know, a game that we thought that we might not have uh, have the horses to win, but we, we we took it. We were able to beat SMU at home, 41 to 19, and hopefully that's a good omen for the rest of the season. So, hope to see all of you out at the Temple game this Thursday for our space game. Come out ready to uh, to celebrate our space program and um, you know see us uh, beat the Temple Owls. I'll go ahead and pass it over to uh, Scott for our Toast of the Nightcap. This week's Toast of the Nightcap goes to Tremont Morris-Brash. After delivering some big plays over the last couple games, He's overdue for a toast. Night Nation, raise a glass to TMB, and we'll see you next week against Temple.